Welcome to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? We are back, baby. I'm so hyped. I'm so hyped. I'm so hyped to give the people what they want every day, all day here on this podcast, as well as in the Scholar Program, because you know know what's popping right now? The chat. Chat is going crazy. That's right. Chat in the clubhouse. We're popping off the high school workouts, training. We're talking about wickets all day. Oh, too too many, too many good chats going on right now. That's what it's all about. Is think of it like this: the Scholar Clubhouse is like, you know, those times when you're at the meet, you're killing time, and you're just you're just shooting the shit with your fellow coaches. It's where innovation happens it's like being at a coaching conference only whenever you want where you can just ask questions get expert opinions from nearly 500 others Mm -hmm. you know i'll give an example like one you know coach he was thinking like hey what workout should i do for my 800 meter group you know coming on the heels of this type of scenario like big invite on a thursday i want to get him like a good tough session but not too tough a session on a monday you know for the high school level kind of gave some background the scholars we peppered him with a couple more questions and he got like three or four different ideas from coaches who have all been there and done that successfully and it was almost like too much of a buffet of ideas to choose from. He's like, Ooh, they're all good. What should I do? And you know, sometimes that is a blessing to have is that overload of good information. And you know, the message was none of these one workouts is the right workout, but for you, it gives him something to think about, about what the best application to his athletes in that moment in real time will be. And that's, you know, again, it's just useful to leverage the brain trust of so many varied uh, perspectives and methods to your benefit. And if you if you don't know, now you know. You're missing out if you are not already a scholar. That's right. You're missing out. So get on board. Check it out. We've also got all sorts of courses. We're putting together new courses. So it, it, anything and everything under the sun for your coaching, this is your one-stop shop. 100%, man. With 500 plus people in the SCAR program, the chat's on fire. I, I literally can't keep up now. It's awesome. <laughs> there we go. Get off social media, which is, you know, get off Twitter. It's dying. Come over to our little enclave where yep. just coaches nerding out and athletes nerding out. All right. So today we're going to get into a topic. Ooh, that, today's going to be fun. Uh, yes. I'm excited about, you're excited about freaks of nature the best are different and they they're different in a different way they're different in a different way (laughs) and uh, all right so today we're going to go through stories of working with some of the best stories of others we've heard heard of other athletes and the the reason we're going to do this is because you know we were talking offline a little bit and it's hard to know until you see it until you know Oh, because yeah, it's tough. Y- you know, I'm going to give this story to you know one that we talked about, but I think this sets the stage. Okay, so for those who know my background or don't know my background, I Just, trained a ton. Uh, yeah, remind people of this: you were one of the few high school boys to compete in the Prefontaine Mile Classic. That's right. I mean, let's just—that's that was. We're talking. That's the level Magnus was at. That that was it. As there were, you know. 
it was people like Alan, you know, I think Don Sage did, who's York High School legend. There, there wasn't a lot. Yeah. I mean, there, there it, still it, hasn't been a lot. Yeah, it's very it's, rare to get in the Bowerman Mile as a high school boy. That's right. It was uh, it was crazy. But that was the level. And to get there, because this was the early 2000s, I trained a ton. My senior year of high school, I didn't go below 80 miles a week during the entire track season until the Texas State Championship. Everything... Everything was above 80. I hit a hundred in the summers. So think about that. I never ran 80 till like junior year of college, man. Yeah. Crazy. So hundred <laughs> miles a week. And you got to remember, this is, this is Texas. Okay. This is, this is poor man's heat, altitude. Heat, humidity, dying. <laughs> Steve is just trudging along, getting in the miles. So the point being, and then I go to college, I ran up to 120 miles, uh, at, you know, for my highest week in college. I was used to training a lot and training very hard. Well, let's fast forward to I'm done with college. I go to grad school. I move out to Northern Virginia and start training with Alan Webb and Moses Joseph. Moses was Olympian in the 800. Um, And I get out there. It's winter. And basically a day or two after I get out there, Alan and Moses are like, we're going to Florida. We're driving to Florida for a training camp for a week or two. I'm like, great. Grad school doesn't start for a couple of weeks. Let's do it. I We drive down to Florida. We meet up with another Olympian and legend, Kevin Sullivan, to train. So very tough group. I remember the first workout that we do. I'm like, you know what? This is going to be tough, but I got this. We're all kind of in a base phase. We go down. We go down to the track. We do this workout. It took like two hours to warm up fully. We do the workout. After the workout, we go straight to lifting. We started at, I don't know, 8.30 in the morning. By the time we get done, it's like 1.30. I'm starving. I'm like, what in the world did I just do? I only covered, I don't know, eight, nine miles worth of work but it was like four, five hours of stuff and just being exhausted. And a couple hours later, I'm like, I'm supposed to double to get in some mileage and I'm obsessive on getting in my mileage. And I remember just laying in the hotel bed, just being like, I can't get out the door. (laughs) This is, this is crazy. That's Alan insane is, that you didn't have the appetite for it at all. No, not at all. And this is very rare. This is why, again, test yeah. of mileage, blah, blah, blah. I'm sitting here thinking I can handle it. It's only eight or nine miles of total work that we got in that morning. So not a ton when you're used to doing almost double that in, in a day per day. And I was exhausted. All I wanted to do was sleep and nap and eat food. And, and, and Alan... It's just like, oh, yeah, I'm good. Fine. Bouncing off the, off the wall, blah, blah, blah. We're going to do it again. And, we, and, and that's how the rest of that week, like it didn't, it didn't kind of relent. Obviously, we did easy, the easy days even took hours to go through drills and stretches and strides and plyos and blah, 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 blah. Like that was a very low mileage week for me. And I was exhausted. And Alan was just like bouncing off the wall. And, The reason I tell that story is 
because sometimes which is insane by the way <laughs> like <Yeah>. excuse me <laughs> that's not <laughs> normal <laughs> and and the other other way I would put it is the other and this would go on and on and on but the way I would like to I I think really encapsulates this is we would go from doing a a very hard workout on a track you know I remember another where we were doing eight eight hundreds and Alan you know we start a little slower but Alan gets down to the last couple all at two flat I get down to like two oh low and I'm just like done right because you're doing eight eight hundreds or whatever with you know, maybe 90 seconds, two minutes rest between you get down to load two minutes in the kind of base phase and you're, you're, you're exhausted. You finish that workout, you go through all your exercises, your general strength afterwards, and then you go straight to the lifting heavy. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember being in the weight room, just being like heavy. I can, I barely have the energy to like lift the bar up, you know? Right. It's just not metabolic too. that that stress. It is neural. Like you're on the track, there's rapid, fast coordination, like the nervous system is fried. And now we lift heavy. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, you know, I'm already not the strongest person, but I was just like a useless in there. And mostly from that kind of nervous system, like fried energy of like, I can't activate stuff. I can't, you know, my muscles are just like, so the reason I tell those stories is is very simple, is I was used to training at a high level. I was used to competing at a relatively high level. I had some good teammates in college. One year, we sent three individuals to nationals and cross country. So out of the four individuals from a region, we sent three, and we just missed qualifying by a team to a very good uh, Texas team at that at that point. We had some good, talented people, you know? I had teammates who went on and trained at the farm team when I was in college. We had talented athletes that I was training with, seeing, competing against. Nothing, nothing prepared me for training with Alan Webb. (laughs) Yeah. He's different in a different way. And that's why, again, that's why I tell the story is it's, it's, it's hard to encapsulate. We think we know what it takes. We think we know what, you know, makes the the elite of the elite different. But until you see it up front and close, it's it 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 doesn't quite hit you on on your head of like, oh, this is what this is this is a freak of nature. There's nothing I can do about this. It doesn't matter if I'm optimized on every recovery product or like modality ever. Like He's got this thing that makes him good and allowing him to bounce back and do this crazy ass shit. Excuse my language, but that's what it is. <laughs> and that and that is that is like hard to ramify or to make sense of when you're you're looking at it. But I think this is important for uh and we'll go through lots of examples, but I think this is important because a lot of times we look to the best of the best for the workouts, for the ideas, blah, blah, blah. And then we 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 bring the watered down version or sometimes the not watered down version to our team in college or high school or what have you. And we make a mistake in re- not realizing like, oh, this is this is the freak of nature thing. This is what I can't. This is not to copy. 
Yeah, it's so hard, right? Because like, what is a freak of nature? It's it kind of is relative to where you're the level you're coaching. Like we have been blessed to be able to see it at the highest, highest level firsthand. And it's tough to communicate it because it's sensory uh, of emotion and perception when you see it firsthand is a next level thing. And so we often think, oh, that person's good. This person's good. And there's a lot of really good people who I call like semi-freaks or freak-ish. Like a lot of the athletes I've worked with over the years have been freakish, but like the legit freaks are different in a different way. And I keep saying that because they truly are like once in a generational talent. It's like, if you look back and look at Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan in the basketball world, they thought different, they acted different, they prepared different. And it's the same with these freaks. I'll give an example with like Shalene Flanagan uh, from 2013. Uh, she had won in Des Moines, Iowa the women's 10,000 in 31:43. I mean, just hammering away in that race, Kara Goucher, you know, was on the same team. Kara like went from it from the gun, even though she was advised not to by Jerry, uh, you know, ended up paying the price and fizzling, getting fifth. But like Shalane was just like, all right, fine, I'm just free pacer. I'm going to go right on your hip. And, you know, Shalane's just cranking, 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 and she wins 31:43. Then a week later, the week after her, and Emily Enfield do a workout on track and Emily Enfield is com coming off of injury, mind you, from this point. So Emily had competed. She was coming off injury. So you have Shalane coming off a 31-43 and out su without super shoes in Des Moines, Iowa heat, which is very stressful on the body for 10,000. Emily coming back from injury. Here's their quote unquote easy workout Jerry gave them. Four by a mile at 455 with four meter jog recovery. Four by 800 at 220 four-meter jog recovery, four by 600 at 66 to like 62, four-meter jog recovery. And I was like, Jer, he's like, oh, it's, you know, it's something easy, just something to wake them back up. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> what the, and they did it just fine. <laughs> no problem. No problem. And I was like, oh, they're different. <laughs> I mean, after like a 10K, most people especially a championship 10k in heat and humidity of Des Moines, Iowa, they will, you will need probably about at least two, maybe three weeks of just chilling. We're talking a week later. Easy. I was like, oof, different. And it's also the mindset too. Like they knew they had to do this and they didn't bitch about, complain about, no theatrics, no dramatics, just, all right, on to the next. It was just literally another day on the job. And you know, we, they're very rare though, right? Like we tend to make, especially the running media and running industry, because they want clicks, they want attention. They, we tend to elevate these outsized uh, successes and go, oh, this is amazing, 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 amazing. The, the, the true freaks are once, maybe twice in a generation. Webb's an example. Shalane's an example. Bolt's an example. But like the real, real freaks, we don't see often, right? You know, Emily Sisson's getting to that level, Molly Huddle, right? But it's, we got to remember, it's, we, we, we say freak, but, you know, ultimately, like, how do we establish that? It's either doing something at a level no one's ever done before, or very few people have touched since. So point in case, Alan Webb's American record, still the fastest mile ever ran the world since that date. Think about that with super shoes and um, super tracks now, like at Hayward.
you know, Shalane getting third at the Olympics in the 800, I mean, excuse me, uh, 10K in Beijing when American women distance running sucked. <laughs> I mean, you know, like that. these are the people that's like, you look at what they're doing and you go, oh, this is crazy. And sometimes you get caught up in the zeitgeist of the moment of like, what's this new hot group doing? Or what's this, you know, group doing? But like, are they really, 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 really next level? And that's what we have to ask ourselves. They might be next level in the moment, but are they really at a whole nother stratosphere? Absolutely. And, and I think that's where it, 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 it's like there's different gradations of it. And the, the like super freaks, we'll call them, like see that over and over and over again. They're like, what the heck? And then you go a level down and you have what I'd call like freak moments where you're just like, it's not always there, but it's like, what in the heck? Like, how did that happen? How did that bounce back? Or how did that, you know, do that? And I think that's, it, it's, it's like eye-opening to degree. And it's interesting because like we can go, you know, throughout history, for example, and see how crazy stuff has worked for somebody but then like held others back and one of my favorite examples is who is certainly a freak of the freak um jim ryan right i mean jim ryan going with combining with his uh his coach um his coach timmons is like it worked because Jim Ryan could handle crazy, crazy stuff. You know, one of my favorite examples is a sample week where, again, we'll we'll just go through it quickly. Monday, five mile run in the morning. PM, track session, two mile, one mile, 1200, 800, 400, two by 200, all with short recover. Tuesday, five mile run in the morning. PM, speed work, reps of 200, 300, 100, 150. Wednesday, five mile in the morning, PM, 50, 50 by 469, 50 by 400, <laughs> 50. Thursday, five mile run, 18 by 800, Friday, five mile run, fart lick session in the PM, Saturday, race, yeah. <laughs> 50 by 400, Saturday race. Yeah. And you're just like, this is like, you look, uh, you look across his training and it's like crazy, 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 crazy over crazy. But he ran 351 in the mile, you know, gosh, on senders. On senders. On senders, like, you know, 50 plus years ago. What? Yeah. But, you know, if you look at, you know, what at, at that time, his teammates at Kansas, like some got, some were good. But a lot just got destroyed by trying to do Jim Ryan-esque stuff because they weren't freaks, you know? And 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 I think that's the kind of the mistake we often make is we we don't acknowledge that, like, you know, sometimes the training that can work with someone who's got that freak isn't going to work for, for you or I. And the basketball example is great because... You know, people all the time ask me, they're like, but look at Kobe who got up at 4 a.m. and was in the gym at, you know, 420 and just going like, like he didn't, he didn't need sleep, blah, 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 et cetera. And you're just like, Kobe was different, man. (laughs) 
Like most of us aren't Kobe, even in the NBA. And, you know, I've talked, worked with a bunch of NBA teams. The, the P the Kobe's and the LeBron's are different. And often like they're so different that it makes them hard to be teammates with sometimes because you know they're just at another level of like dedication drive obsession that even very dedicated or or athletes who care about things like can't be at and that doesn't that doesn't mean that those other athletes are you know not driven or slacking or what have you it's just that some people are i have this like crazy innate ability to be able to do work bounce back mentally physically neurally all that stuff and handle crazy stuff Mm -hmm. and be okay yeah and i'll you know we give the example of this outside proportion of like oh yeah look at you know this work these people did this work this and then the inverse of being a freak is like andrew weeding right if we look at like his training you know i mean it's it's the exact opposite of that. Here's, you know, uh, two weeks out from him getting what third at pack 12s and first in the 1500 and then first in the 800. Right. And it's like, here's his training, you know, from that, that prior week, it's like one times 400 in 60 seconds, two times 800 in 201, 158, four times 227 28 crappy weather but good workout and if you know anything about vin lanon's training there's always lots of rest in there so they run fast take lots of rest next day 40 minute run 40 minutes in the pool next day four times 600 at 68 very windy and that's 68 seconds not for the 600 but 68 second per quarter pace for 600 not fast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not fast four four times 600 at 68 pace for per lap and then one 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 times 300 at 30 or 40 seconds one times 340 seconds massage 40 minute easy run 20 minute easy run 20 minute easy run 60 minute easy run right then what do you what was his performance at pack 12s last 51.3 on the last 400 to get third. Remember, this is when Sanchez was there. Log, you know, and then he comes back, wins Pac-12s in the 800, 25 second last 200. What? That's insane. <laughs> you basically did not train, and I mean, and that's that's just a sample week, and that really was actually how weeding was managed was super low volume, super low intensity. Like, if you know. You know, Nicole Blood's another example. You look at her training for what she was able to do off of how, quote unquote, little they did. You're like, what the heck? In college, you're like, your mind gets blown. So it's not just like freaks can work the hardest. Freaks, the, the best way I like to define a real, real freak is they get 2x, or no, excuse me, they get 10x to 5x range. So somewhere in that out of what they do than most others. So Weeding did this and he got five to 10 X more out of it than probably a normal quote unquote, or, you know, typical athlete runner might. Webb did all that crazy stuff or Shalane 
and they but they were able to do it and got five to ten x more of it at best right if we for normal people for most athletes if we you know uh streamline and quote unquote optimize everything nutrition recovery sleep etc you're maybe looking at 2x but the freaks just show up and just get more and it doesn't make any sense and it's just one of those mysteries of the universe like I'm all about science and I'm all about like getting down to like, what's the actual mechanisms that play what's happening. Let's be super specific. And this one, you just go, yes, yeah, mystery of the universe. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think there's no, this is the reason we're talking about this because I think so often what we do is we base all of our training and ideas, um, off of people who are freakish. Right. But- Cause that's what it, it's the broadcast mentality. Oh, this amazing outsized talent did X, Y, Z. So, Oh, I'm going to do two hundreds and hills or oh, I'm going to do, you know, this, this yes. is like, come on. <laughs> and, and, and I think the thing is not to put down the trick coaching freaks of nature has its own problems and its yes. own challenges, you know, but what often happens is you can get, because the talent is there, you can get away with, or you can do a variety of, of things and still run fast, a variety of approaches and still run fast. And I think this is why we often, you know, make the mistake of jumping on, oh, this is the next big thing. This is the way to do it when we see the best of the best of the best do it. And the reality is often that won't apply to you or I, or even someone a level or two down because like they don't have the capacity to do that. Even, you know, it's like, even within freaks, it's like, what would happen if you tried to train Andrew weeding? Like you would Alan, like Alan Webb, it would be disaster. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's like nuance here on like the best are different in very different ways. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> in very different ways and half the battle is figuring out like i call it like what's your superpower you know even when i was working with sarah hall like i learned very quickly i'm like oh your superpower is like bouncing back from things <laughs> you know it's like you want to know why the reason she races so much and still does it is like even back then i was i was in the mindset of like oh let's not race as much blah 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 but then i quickly saw like oh you love competing, competing energizes you and you want to compete at a variety of distances and you bounce back from things, you know? And I was just like, all right, let's embrace this. This is what you're good at. Let's go for it. And I think, you know, that is what we need to figure out is from a level or two down is with your athletes is like, What's their superpower? What makes them good? I mean, for me, one of my things that make me good is like for a long time, I could handle a lot of training. Like I could just not a lot of, I couldn't handle a ton of intensity, but I could handle a ton of volume of work where I'm just like, okay, whatever, let's just put in the work. And that's part of what allowed me to express my talent. Other people, would be completely different. And that's why it's like, you've got to figure out those things that are like the superpowers or alternatively, like their weaknesses or kryptonite. Yeah. And too, it's like when you traffic in circles with people who deal with like kind of these higher level freaks, you learn who's 
you know, who's different and who's like different in a different way. I'll give an example, like talking with Terry, you'd be like, oh, hey, yeah. It was like, man, I thought Matt Tegenkamp was like the dude. I thought he was talented. I thought, you know, he's he made every, you know, global team he ever tried out for, except like his last one, whether it was Olympics or Worlds. Insane. And Terry's like, yeah, he's not really good. So he has to work really hard. I was like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then Lopez Lamont, he's like, oh, that's a freak. He's a freak. Like, that guy's just a freak. And so when you get someone like Cherry, who's been at this level and playing for a long time, being able to have a different taxonomy, a classification about, you know, who is a freak in his eyes versus who's not quote unquote talented, even though Ten Camp was obviously very talented. Uh, it just, it gives you a different lens that I don't think we're all privy to, or sometimes we get distracted by the excessive sensationalism that comes from the running media hype machine in, uh, that's out there. When it's like, no, that person's actually really not that good. And they either have to, you know, work their buns off or in some cases augment it with some type of, you know, pharmaceutical intervention to that degree. And it's like, it's, it, it becomes clear when you've done it for a long time, what is, you know, real freaks and what's fake tits, as I call it. <laughs> well, what it is, is is pattern recognition. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, and, and, you know, I realized this very on, early on in my career, thankfully working with, you know, uh, elite athletes is you start to understand the patterns of like, oh, what's really good? What's crazy? What's crazy, but doable? But what's crazy, but not doable unless there's something else that, in there? based on the like the talent you have in front of you and you know this goes in a variety of direction and and ways um but one of the things i was always thankful for is coaching at a high level is once you got athletes at the elite level who was on their second or third coach Mm. you got to see what every other good coach did yeah (laughs) that was the fun part right you're like oh interesting yeah you're like, oh, this person, like this person does this because you just asked for the training logs of like what, what did well and what didn't what do well, et cetera, et cetera. And you get this, you get this almost kind of blueprint of like what's possible and what's like what people can handle. And a variety of coaches have, have given that. And that again, gives you that information where you're like, okay, like this is relatively normal to do whatever x you know six by mile at x pace at you know with this much rest like these people have handled it this coach assigns it blah 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 you get this idea um so what it does is it gives you this kind of like norm for what's possible for even like highly trained athletes and what always would kind of you know put up a red flag for me is where I would see people do crazy stuff repeatedly over and over and over again and not have the recovery off of it. So I'll give you an example. Alan Webb famously did this workout where he does 20 by 400 and then closes in 50. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> Insane. And, and, and the next day, what's he do? I remember this is like recovery Jesus. This guy, his bounce back ability 
Yeah. Next level. Like that's what I called him like recovery Jesus. You just, Oh, you, and you gotta remember he's eating subway. He's not really sleeping a whole lot. Like, you know, he optimized as much as he could, but he was still a, a, an American young male. Like he'd still get distracted and stay up late. So it wasn't like he was like super anal and dialed in. He was anal enough. Don't get me wrong. Very committed all the way, but it wasn't like optim optimized to the nth degree. Yeah, exactly. But he's like the recovery guy. And what does he do the next day after his crazy, crazy ass 400s, whatever? Tell me. If, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe he takes it off. Uh, I'm looking at the log right now. You are correct, sir. There you go. So, and, 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 and that's what I mean. Even people, again, I started the story with Alan Webb, recovery Jesus, like <laughs> could handle crazy stuff way more than I could and bounce back. But even after his craziest workouts, like he's got to pay the price. <laughs> like you got to pay Piper. You got to you got to do it. And I think that that frames of of you know when you start looking at people who may not be as talented as Alan Webb, but could get away with the equivalent of twenty by four four hundred over and over and over and over and over again <laughs> without paying it back. That always struck me as like, okay, this is this is red flag weaving. Yeah, I've uh, I've seen that, and I won't say where I saw it, when what group I saw it, but you can put two and two together if you listen to us regularly, and you're just like, that's not right. <laughs> that that math does not add up. <laughs> you know, it, it, exactly, and and it's not to just like throw dispersion on people. That's why we're not naming people, but it's like. What you generally see is like there's a norm around what is possible and what's not even. And this is where it comes with the super freak stuff. It's like even when you look at the people who are able to do crazy stuff. So even Sarah Hall, who I said, ability to bounce back, one of her biggest things. There were there were many times where I'm like, oh, crap, you went over the edge and mm -hmm. we need to get you back. Yeah. And I mean, and same thing, like say, we'll use Jerry as another example, like, you know, his ability to be like, hey, we got to bring, you know, bring it back in. I remember standing next to him at like uh, one of the Sunset Tour track meets when it first started up. All those guys came out, you know, and they're trying to blast a 5K. I think it was like world champs or something. And they they all, they laid an egg. And he goes, well, that's going to be another six weeks of training and i go well, what do you mean well i mean we worked really hard and then we did this and we took some time down and now we gotta take some more time down and now we gotta get back into it because he understood like the he gave them the opportunity to express fitness and they weren't able to do it and it wasn't just the fact that they were penalized by the lack of expression of fitness he also understood it was probably a cofactor was fatigue residuals so it was like six weeks until the next effort right and that's when they did the you know 5k at the nike track and woody kincaid ran his first sub 13 but i mean woody had laid an egg at that 5k before so the fact that he's like well we gotta scale back in versus other coaches would be like oh it's a really crappy marathon you made it 20 miles hey guess what we're gonna go two weeks later and go run a knockout time here and you're like how can you go do that you already put in like xyz number of miles in a marathon or a 10k or what have you and now you come back and look like a world beater really rapid turnaround 
that stuff's not real in my book, in my opinion. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's you, fake you, tits. That's fake tits. You, it looks you, nice, you, it's exciting, but it's not real. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's like again, there's a norm to recovery and bouncing back in. And what we're saying, I think, is like there's a norm for you and I and like uh, or the level above and elite athletes and all that stuff. But once you start getting outside of the norm of the crazy of crazy of the people competing at the highest level who, like you said, on Jerry's example there, who still need to bounce back and recover and obey the laws of stress and adaptation. Once you go outside of those bounds repeatedly then you know it's yeah. it's it's fake stuff it's right fake i mean st- there's only so many as we're saying super duper freaks where who who can get away with that and they truly are once in a generation town truly. exactly and truly. i remember you know i remember conversation with the the late david torrance i had oh yeah who, who essentially told me you know i'm not going to name the groups or training but he essentially said like hey i was you know i was training alongside at the same track as blah 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 and i'd see them die and like just go to the well and you know the next day they'd come back looking fresh as a daisy and this kept happening this kept happening and he was like this is when i realized it wasn't real essentially and again david torrance great guy was a very good very strong runner always in contention um but like you get a norm of of what was possible and what's what's impossible based on you know being in the sport yeah i mean even at the highest level there are like we said the recovery jesus is like alan you know i mean and the blood work supporter right you look at alan's like hematocrit level it was always you know it was above 50 just hanging out no altitude, just hanging out, no altitude tense, no altitude interventions. Like he was not a good responder to altitude at all. Why? Because his blood red cell count was already off the charts. <laughs> you go, oh, that's, that's, that's one reason why he might be a freak, right? And it's, we often just look at like you and I, you know, Steve and I have seen a lot of blood panels in our lives, you know, far more than I ever thought I'd see getting into the sport. Um, and just looking at these panels, that is, it's it's actually hard data where you go, oh, this is a freak. Like, you know, I've had athletes who was like, oh, that's why your recoverability sucks. You're very anemic and your ferritin's really low versus, oh, that's why like you feeling awesome and, you know, crushing it all the time because your iron, you know, and ferritin levels off the charts or, hey, I've, I've even told athletes, hey, look, you have like a blood condition, your hematocrit's at 30 and that's, it is what it is. It's like, that's a genetic mutation. You should probably think about running maybe the 800 and down because it's just not, you know, going to, re- you're going to reach us barely a ceiling running longer events. I mean, and it's has nothing we can do about it. Right. Uh, and these things like the public often, we don't see them. We just see the workouts and we think work hard equals fast. Okay. Got it. And it's like, not always, not always, not always, not always. And even within groups, there is always like a, an alpha freak, a freak among freaks. But if the whole, you know, kind of training group, right, it seems freakish, everyone, that's all, that's to me, that's a huge red flag. Cause it's like, how's everyone freakish? How's this possible? Maybe <laughs> one, but not like six or seven, eight or nine. That That is true. When everyone's, I always, 
The the other example, and I think high school and college coaches can get this really well, is um, if you've coached high school or college and you're getting ready for a conference meet or a regional meet or a state meet or or a, even just a cross country, like getting meet. five together, right? Yeah, that, that's what I mean. It's like just getting five. How many times? How hard is it to get five all lined up in a row on the same day performing? Oh, I'll give a good example. Like Rob Connor, he always gives us a funny example. He's always super paranoid the last 24 hours of a big cross country race. He's like, yeah, one time I had this guy. He came out and he rolled and sprained his ankle, stepping out of the porta potty right before the big meet. <laughs> and, you know, if you know UOP, like most times, like they only had five, like even in those early days when they were like coming up and becoming national class. In the, and so it was like, he goes, and there went our meet. And I was like, oh, crazy. <laughs> because <laughs> it's super hard <laughs> it is it's super hard i mean that's what i mean it's like even really good coaches i mean even jerry schumacher like when he had these super talented teams at wisconsin like for a number of years they struggled to win the the title right yeah i mean and remember it, remember that like super duper team of like Byru, Tegenkamp, uh, Selensky, like it was just that loaded squad and they didn't yes. win. Yes, exactly. All guys who would go on to be, again, some of the best Americans, Canadians, whatever in the world. And they, they couldn't pull it off because it's really tough to get all five on the same, on the same day. And, and that's where I think, again, when you look at, 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 sometimes the fakeness is what happens is we we get these false impressions of like oh it's normal to have everyone hit all the time and it's just not and that's just another sign and it's i should say it also gives us a fake impression that if you hit on every single race in your season because that even if you're a pro and you're training for blah 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 it's just not possible oh i mean even even the the most freakish of freakish look at Elliot Kipchoge in 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 Boston or like, London those couple years ago when yeah. he got the ear earache yeah it's like even those guys and he doesn't race much but he's the master of the marathon and even there you know he almost got in Boston he almost got beat by a couple Americans so yeah. it's it it happens right when you at the at the world class level when you see someone rolling sevens every single time out the gate you're like hmm that's hard to do <laughs> that's near impossible to do because it's it it really is i just call it fake tits because it's like i know what i'm looking at it's okay but you also have to remind it is fantasy right because it's just even remember even in the senior year that alan had in 2007 there were bomb races in there bombs like stinkers because he's human because that's what happens yes exactly it's like even the best of the best they are human and stuff happens you know mm -hmm. so it, it it's it's like you've gotta have some reality on here yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, it's so important to remind ourselves that these are humans, people and not robots, right? It's why periodization matters. It's why, you know, pointing people towards a certain Zenith matters because it's not really just physical. We talk a lot about the trainer side, the physical side, oh, what's going on physically, metabolically, what have you. 
but it's also the mental. It's also the engagement. It's also the, you know, what I call the counselor side, knowing like how long can they stay on? And that, you know, was like one of the aspects of a Shalane. Like maybe, you know, she definitely earned and worked hard for everything she got in her life, but in her career, but also too, her mentality was Kobe Bryant-esque. Different, different. Never, I've never seen, I think in the world of running, I've never seen that, that type of mentality, male or female. It's just, it was different. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's part of the thing that I think often we miss here is that for most people, if you told me to go mimic Kobe Bryant and you and I are driven, like we've trained a lot. If you get told me and you to go mimic Kobe Bryant and do his thing, physically, we might be able to handle the stuff, but mentally, like that's not how we're wired, even if we're dedicated to do things. Like it would, the mental fatigue would get us over time because like we're not wired in that way to do that. And, and we often acknowledge this from the physical side. Oh, I don't have the capabilities to run a hundred miles a week like this or to handle 40 by 400 at X. Some people don't have that, but often we don't acknowledge that we think that all mental abilities are like, you know, completely trainable. And that's, there's, that's not true. Like some people, and we know this from the neurochemistry of it. Like some people are wired with like high dopamine or receptors that like light up. Other people are more serotonin dominant dominant and content and all of that stuff. There's biology and neurochemistry behind this. Um, and the certain people like they're wired like Kobe Bryant and they can, they can handle that stuff. Certain people can't. Yeah. It's a hundred percent. I think that's the other thing we forget. We, we often look to these quote unquote superheroes in sport and we'll, you know, we'll keep beating the dead horse, Kobe Bryant's or Michael Jordan's, you know, and we go, Oh, okay. To be good. I have to be like that. And you even hear a lot of professionals who are solid pros at the basketball level, use these people as pillars and kind of um, wayfinders, so to speak. Right. But the reality is these people aren't looking to anyone else for inspiration. It's the old, you know, Chuck Close quote, amateurs for, or motivations for amateurs or suckers. They're just, they showed up wired like that. They're just driven. There's no motivation. It's just in their DNA. You know, one athlete who was like that, that I worked with was Michaela Fricker. Uh, the 800 meter runner, like I coached against her in high school, she was state champ in Oregon in high school, D2 national champ um, out of Seattle Pacific in the 800. And then I got the opportunity to work with her, you know, for several years. And Michaela would go on race day to a different place. Like she was, you meet her, like I see her now, she's coaching high school, working with her family business. And we saw, we connected the other day at a high school track. I mean, we're just like, how fun is this coaching high school? She goes, oh, I know. So awesome. Like, you just not like a hundred thousand dollars on the line. If I don't make this, you know, <laughs> Olympic team, like, this is so great. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but, but on race day, like, and she's like, going to be a great mom, very just loving, supportive, like. I mean, big hugs all around, like you name it. She's just like a draw you in type person. But on race day, she would literally about three hours before she would, you know, as I would call it, she would eat your face. 
Like she just get this look on her face and just go in this zone. And I didn't need to do anything. That's just how she was. And I was just there if she needed me, but like we rarely interacted in the moments leading up to the race on race day. She would just get it. And I mean, you know, she won some pretty good domestic meets in the 800, ran 201 for many, many times. And that was a bigger deal without super shoes. But it was like she got 10% extra on race day. And I don't know how or where that came from. I didn't coach it. We didn't have any conversations about it ever. <laughs> it's just that was what it was. I mean, <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I call that like flipping the switch. Yeah. Where it's like some people just have this this ability to flip the switch where you're just like, what? Like makes no sense. It makes no sense, but they just, they just have it and they just turn it on. And in the rest of their life, they might be sweet, kind, like even not like quote unquote tough or can handle pain in other areas, whatever it is. But once they flip that switch, it's like a different human being comes in. And I think that is also something that I've seen with not a lot of people, but with some people where I'm just like, oh, you've got, you got the ability, man. You got the ability to flip that switch and become like something, someone else. Yeah. I mean, they, it's like, they know internally with, without language, like they know at like a very basal level, what they need to do and what has to be done. And it's just like, it's, it really is nonverbal. Like I've seen it and it's just, they know what they need to do and what has to be done and they're driven for it. And they made the decision. Yep. I'm going to go do it. And you're like, Oh, versus a lot of people, right. As coaches, we know a lot of people waffle. There's like all these excuses or anxieties, or they feel like their status is at stake and they feel like this and that. And like these people literally don't care if they fail. It's, you know, <laughs> I'll go back to Michaela. You know, it's like, um, oh, she, she, you know, she, she was running at uh, this Olympic trials year 2016. We had to run an open four at some preparatory meet in the Portland area where at the time there were like some good pros there. And like, uh, it wasn't like Portland track festival or anything, but it was like, I think it was Portland twilight or something like that. But some of our competitors were there and they were competing either in the eight or maybe the 15, but she was in the open quarter and it was raining and it was pretty crappy weather. And, um, you know, she, she, she ran like, I think, don't quote me on this, but like 54 low solo in the low, right as an 800 meter runner and it was was just like i was like you didn't need to do that like i mean this is it's okay it was like a really bad condition she goes no i needed to let them know what was coming i was like oh like she she took that race as an opportunity to send a nonverbal message to her competitors i was like yes next level (laughs) Because here I'm thinking about like managing like her physicality, like, oh, we don't want to pull anything, this or that. Like, I'm already thinking like 10 steps ahead to like getting ready for the Olympic trials. And like, she's like, no, they were there. And you don't know what's coming. And I was like, good for you. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I mean, that's what it's, that's, that's. That's, And when they're different, they're different in a different way. Like, that's what I mean. And you've just kind of got to like. And this is why I think it's important. And the point of this podcast is like understanding again, like when you get and this is different levels. Like I've had athletes who are different, who might not have been like 
world-class level athletes. I mean, I'm thinking of one who was a very good athlete, but like went on into the, the military afterwards. And I'm like, I can see why you're going to the military and have success because like you are different and wired in this different way that is going to like really make you thrive in that, that area. Like it was, it was similar to your story. He could just like flip this switch. Like even if he wasn't trained, like even if for whatever reason, and he'd still run pretty dang good. And you're just like, but like you didn't like, you're not fit yet. And <laughs> yeah, you, you'd still muscle out something and you're just like, what? And it was just because, like, he had that ability to just kind of flip that switch where it's like, okay, it's go. It's, it's like he called it essentially like going to war mode where it's like, okay, you know, some people can do that. Some can't. But, like, identifying and figuring out, especially with those athletes and leaning in towards that, that, that strength or what makes them special is really important. Yeah, it was. I remember talking with Leo Manzano many years ago, right? And, you know, him and Alan used the same language when they both knew it was time to retire, like they're like, yeah, I, I knew it was time to retire when I couldn't go to the quote unquote dark place. And I go, I asked Leo, I go, what does that mean for you? And he was like, it meant to me, like I had to be willing to make everyone hurt so much that, and like, that was what uh, drove him. And he knew like if he was going to go out there and make everyone hurt so much, he had to be willing to hurt twice as much as them. And the dark place was really that, like he knew he had to inflict carnage on everyone else, but it only, the only way to inflict carnage on everyone else in running is to do it to yourself. Right. And he knew like when he, he couldn't muster that gumption anymore, when it was just like that decision moment came on race day and it's like, all right, who has it? Who has the nuts? Who doesn't? And he, and he, and he would recede from the challenge. That's when he knew he just couldn't play the game anymore because it really is. This is how my experience has been with these freaks mentally now is they, it's a different calculus. They're not thinking about paces, splits, PRs, this or that. They're thinking about relationally to the other people in the meet and sometimes <laughs> not in the race and not even, you know, in the race with them, how am I going to send a message to them? Let them know what's up, make them feel what I'm feeling and then test them to see if they can go toe to toe with me, not just like who's good, but who can actually exert themselves in a way that is different. You know, and I'm not surprised to hear that because Manzano in high school, he was a year younger than me, but he was famous for early in high school, showing up kind of out, out of shape early in the season which would give you this false sense of hope where you're like, Oh, Leo's not that fit. And then he just get better and better and just have this ability in racing to just like turn it on and just like, what the heck, where did this come from? And that's, that's, that's what he would do. So he, he, he had that, even though like the training and seriousness of it would come later in college and afterwards where he trained extremely hard, don't get me wrong. But in high school, you could see it. You're just like, even back in high school, like I ran faster in high school than Leo did. We didn't race much. I think, you know, we raced a couple times, maybe my sophomore, junior year. And then once my senior year, he beat me early on and sophomore, junior, I beat him in my senior and the only time we raced. But, um, I knew as a high school, I was like, yep, Leo's more, 
whatever you want to call it. Back then, I was like, he's more talented. Right. But what he, what it, what it is is like he had this other ability that I didn't possess, even though I was running faster. I was like, yep, nope, I understand this, and like that. That again, we were both very good in high school, but like his superpower was much different than mine was. Yeah. No, I mean most people, right, in the sport of endurance or middle distance and running, we we don't give ourselves permission to do things until we're quote unquote fit. We it's like we have to earn it, right? We're like, we gotta earn the fitness, we gotta earn the right to do this, we gotta get your threshold here, blah, 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 blah. The freaks don't wait for fitness, they just go. They just go. And they let fitness then accelerate or elevate them once they get it. But that's why you often see like these examples of these freaks of, you know, nature or freaks of competitive nature, we should really say, have really like spotty, low training volume. And you're like, How, wait, what's the correlation here? I thought it was supposed to be this nice progression. It's like, no, 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 no. That's how they're wired. And they're just using this increasing fitness or capacity they're getting through the season to elevate them. And it's a different calculus. Yep. Exactly. It's just a it's a different kind of approach and game to it. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the beautiful thing about, you know, the, the the freaks, you know, or the people who are just different is they're all different in a different way. But, you know, some people like, again, they get this outsized proportional uh, impact or result, that 10x effect for whether it's physical, mental, emotional, hybrid of all of them, that a lot of us just really can't relate to. <laughs> like it just, it doesn't, doesn't hit. Cause I mean, most of us are kind of, you know, in that, that pool of ability where it's like, all right, we're all kind of in this similar level in the arena. And then you're like, how'd this person do, you know, level up 10, 20 levels doing less work than I, it, it makes no sense. Right. Yeah. No, and that's why it's it's hard to kind of sometimes wrap your head around on this. But I think, you know, I think the takeaway on this is like, you know, we can learn from the freaks of nature to understand like, okay, there's different ways you become freaks. There's different like superpowers that they have. Even if we're not the, at the highest level, we might have some of those superpowers. And that's really important. But at the same time, we need to be a little bit wary of saying, this is the training we should do. This is how I should do X, Y, and Z because, you know, whoever it is, Alan Webb, El Garouge, Inger Britson, like whoever is doing X training, so we need to follow it. The reality is that, you know, you don't want to be like the rest of the University of Kansas track and field team <laughs> when you were trying to copy Jim Ryan and all of you were falling apart and Jim Ryan is running 351 mile. Yeah, it's it's why it's so important. Individual periodization or individualized training. It doesn't just mean cater every, you know, to the individual. Like definitely have different mailboxes as Dan Path calls them or paradigms or archetypes, but know what type of freak you have, right? If you have that mental freak, you're like, good, I don't need to do that. They might be, have a deficit in the physical fitness side. The inverse, right, is famously Kara Goucher, right? Very physically capable as a runner. But, you know, for a lot of reasons that are now coming to light, you know, a lot of like, uh, you know, mental uh, blockades and barricades, right? And you'd see that. And she needs a lot of like building up 
from her support team to get ready for a race versus like a Shalane didn't eat anything. You know what I mean? And it's very rare to get the, the double mental physical freak where it's like next level thinker, next level perception and next level physical capacity. Those are super, super duper rare. But it's like right now when you do a talent identification, like I have this high school freshman boy who got two of them, two of them just competitive as shit, not fit, but competitive. And you're like, cool. The one is like five, six with size 11 and a half feet. I go, and you look at their dad, his dad, you go, okay, I'm going to wait for that growth spurt. I'm going to wait for puberty because, oh man, when it does, worry. but you know, like there, there's just a drive that's in this kid that is awesome to see. And it's like, oh man, great. Four years, three more years of this and just watching this growth happen, man, this is going to be scary, you know, provided he stays engaged, excited, healthy, all these other factors, junior, senior year when finally he hits purity and the other kids same way. But it's like, they just showed up to the party like this. I literally did nothing on that side and it's just a blessing. So it's like, all right, I just got to make sure we take care of them and progress them physically. And that will give them a shot, you know, in a couple of years. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to sum it up. So under understand what you got going, understand the individuality of that. And if you do that, you're going to be better off. And when you have that opportunity and you're blessed to find a freak or next level freak or freak of freak, super freaks, whatever you want to qualify as, just more than anything, for someone who's been there, my you know encouragement is enjoy it enjoy it because it's just it's basically like going to the casino every day and you're just like oh great boom jackpot 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 <laughs> you're doing everything i asked you're you're super motivated you're competitive you have this drive like it is so in some ways it's so easy to coach those types of athletes because it's just they can just do whatever they you ask them to do and they're excited to do it and it's just it's it's a total blessing so if you get that opportunity enjoy it because I look back on my opportunities to work with those types of folks and I enjoy it. And I still smile to this day. Absolutely. hundred percent. So thanks again for listening. Hopefully you got some good stories, some reminiscing for John and I, but also some elucidating, you know, what it looks like <laughs> at the top of the top and how that can impact. These are always my know, favorites. Like you and I at the bar, just, you know, yep. Just going back and forth. Like, these are my favorite podcasts, man. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, everybody. Check out the Scholar Program. Until next time, keep on coaching.